Merry Christmas. And thanks for being here today, especially those of you who are not usually in uh, the service with us. Uh, once, a long time ago, when I was in college, some friends of mine and I were studying at the library for final exams, and we started to get a little bit tired and fried. And so just kind of spur of the moment, we, we ended up going out and buying some party supplies. Uh, we got some streamers and some little hats and some food and some balloons. And we went into the men's bathroom at the library at our school, and we decorated the men's bathroom and uh, just hung out in there. And then anytime somebody would come in, we'd yell, surprise! And we try to make it feel like there was just this party that was happening in the men's bathroom. And uh, you should have seen people's faces as they, they came in. They were, they were definitely surprised. And that's because a party was happening at an unexpected time, in an unexpected place, and with unexpected people. And something very similar is happening in the story that we're going to look at today. The story that we read here at the second chapter of Luke is a story of celebration. It's a scene of a party. And in this case, it's a birthday party. Uh, The angels are throwing an unexpected birthday bash in the middle of the night in a faraway field with some totally unlikely people to celebrate the birth of God's Son. And what I want us to see and experience this morning is the joyfulness of God that is expressed so evidently at this event. And I want to ask the question this morning, why was this such a joyful celebration? And actually, I want to argue a little bit later that maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe this party should not have been what it actually was. Was. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to share with us three things together. The first thing that I want to share is something about people. The second thing that I want to share is something about God. And the third thing that I want to share is something that God has done for people that truly is amazing and reason for celebration. So three ideas. And the first is something about people. And the thing that I want us to think just briefly about for a couple of minutes about people is something very obvious, and that is that people have a lot of problems. Now, how many of you in your life right now have at least one problem that comes to mind right away? Okay, raise your hand. Be honest. Chris, you're the only one who... Okay, good. Thank you. (laughs) The only dishonest one in the room for a second there, but you you caught on or you woke up. I'm not sure whichever happened. Uh, maybe you have a problem because there's something in your life that's, that's stressing you out. You've got some kind of a concern or a pressure in your life right now. Uh, maybe you have a problem with some relationship that's not going as well as you wish it would go. Uh, maybe it's a fear that you have about your future or about the future of somebody else that you love. If you have any problem at all, if, if there's something that's sad or that's difficult or negative that's happening in your life right now, there is one important thing that you need to know. And that is that the Bible would teach that all the problems that we could possibly have in life can be traced back to one thing. And that is what the Bible calls sin. 
Uh, God tells us that the world has rebelled against him and that when the world did that, sin entered the world and it distorted everything and it became the cause of all of the problems that exist on planet Earth. It, it brought along with it an if infinite number of issues and problems. And so from the perspective of the Bible, all of the problems in the world have lying behind them the problem of sin. And so what that means is that if you can solve the core problem of sin, then every other problem in life becomes solvable. But the problem is we cannot seem to, on our own, solve the problem of sin. When I was in third grade, I had two uh, best friends that spent, uh, we spent a lot of time together. We always played together on recess, and in the wintertime, our teachers would let us bring our sleds to school, and we would spend our time going up and, and down this hill until we had to go inside after about 45 minutes or so. But one of the girls who was in our class that now, in hindsight, I realized was not maybe the nicest person she went up to one of my two friends and she offered to pay him 15 cents if he would pull her around on her sled all throughout recess. And, and the crazy thing was that this friend actually agreed to it. And, and so during the wintertime, every day she would take 15 cents, which was the change that she would get back from paying a dollar for her milk in the cafeteria, and uh, she would sit down on this sled, and he would pull her wherever she wanted to go. It, it was like he was a little puppy who was subservient to this snow queen, and, and she would order him to the monkey bars, and he'd lug her around, and he'd do that all of, of recess. And I remember, even as a third grader, that this really bothered me. And it bothered me, first of all, because I could tell that, that my friend was not enjoying this in any way. There's no way that the 15 cents was making this worth it. And second of all, I could tell that he had become totally disconnected from us. We had lost him as a friend at recess, and he had lost us as well. And in the Bible, sin is a lot like this. Sin is pictured as, as leaving God for something else. It's kind of giving up the joy and protection and help and friendship that God gives us, leaving it thinking that we're finding something better. But in the end, instead of giving us what we want, it only brings into our lives problems and leaves us feeling guilty and afraid and disconnected and exhausted and uncertain and angry. And the worst part about it, as I said earlier, is that we do not, the Bible would say, have the power within us to escape our own sin. The problem behind every problem is the problem of sin. And if you can solve the problem of sin, then every other problem can be solved. But the problem is that we ourselves cannot solve the problem of sin. So that's my first point. People have a lot of problems. My second point is this, that God himself has no problems at all. People have a lot of problems, but God himself has no problems at all. Can you imagine, just for a second, what it would be like to have absolutely no problems at all? Just think about that for a second. Ah, isn't that a nice thought? Isn't that sort of a distant thought that's even hard to get our, our, our arms around? But that is what it would be like, just a, the tiniest taste of what it would be like to be God. 
So let's think for just a couple of minutes of what it would be like to exist as God, having no problems at all. Well, the first thing the Bible tells us about God is that he's eternal. And that means that he can never die. He never has to worry about getting hurt or getting sick or growing old. And he's also, the Bible teaches us, unchanging. That means that he's always the same. You and I, as as we get older, we grow and we mature and we learn some things. We gain wisdom and skill and character and experience. But we do it very, very slowly over a great deal of time and, and sometimes very painfully. Well, God, the Bible teaches, does not grow at all. He's always had all of those things and he always will. There's no need whatsoever for God to improve with time or experience because God cannot be improved upon at all. And that's because the Bible would also teach that God is already perfect. He's flawless and uh, complete entirely. God has no need for anyone or for anything. He never gets bored or lonely or tired or cranky or hungry or fidgety. Uh, God has never had a bad day. In fact, the Bible would teach that God has never had even a bad millisecond in time. God knows everything that there is to know and he can do anything that there is to do. In fact, my, my young son, who's four years old, he'll often say something like, uh, Dad, we can't lift that big truck over there, but God could, couldn't he? And the answer is yes, absolutely, he can lift that big truck. And he can do anything else that he chooses to do because God can do anything at all that he wants. God is holy, which means that he's set apart from everything else. He'll never be anything less than perfect and righteous and good. And there's nothing, nothing that can change that. And finally, the Bible teaches that God is sovereign. And that's pretty incredible. What that means is that God can make whatever he wants to happen, happen. And it tells us that, in fact, all of history will eventually line up exactly the way that he has decided. And so you have this picture of a problem-free God in the Bible that envisions God lifted on high, enthroned in heaven with angels praising him, exalted as king, and he rules and reigns in righteousness and glory and strength and wisdom. And it also teaches us this. It it teaches us that God is joyful, that God is happy, that God is confident and powerful and good. The Bible teaches that God in and of himself has absolutely no problems. And so he should not have a care in the world. But here's the surprising thing about God. And that is that, believe it or not, God does have a care in the world. And that care is us. The Bible teaches that God cares for us. So let me review my first two points, and then I'll finish up with my third. The first point is people have a lot of problems, and behind all of those problems is sin. God himself, on his own, has absolutely no problems. And so finally, what is the thing that God has done for people? Well, the thing that God has done for people is that God has decided to make our problems his problems. God has decided to make our problem and our problems his problem. 
And that is absolutely astounding. I remember a few years ago, I got a phone call just as I was getting ready to go home after what I think I remember to be kind of a long day at work. And it was a phone call from a guy uh, who attended the church at the time, doesn't anymore, but he was asking if I could help him with a problem and if I would come over to his house immediately. And, and I did not like going over to this person's house because he had the meanest dog I've, I've ever met. A dog that was worse than Cujo, by, by far. And the dog, anytime I would go over, he would usually have it on a leash, but it would do everything that it could to, to pull off that chain, and it would growl at me, and it would uh, try to attack me whenever I came near. And I, I really do think it was trying to eat me. It, it was not just bark. It was going to have bite. But on this day, when I arrived at this friend's house, the dog was laying on its side, on its stomach, and it looked like it was about to uh, die. And my friend uh, came over to me, and and he he was very upset, and he said, you know, there's a problem with the dog. Uh, We've been on the phone uh, with the vet, and it's got something twisted within its stomach, and the dog keeps throwing up. All that the dog has done all day is, is just thrown up and he didn't have a car at the time and so he was wondering if I could please drive him and this dog to take the dog to a vet and I I have to be honest my first reaction to this was does this really have to be me you know I mean isn't there some sort of an ambulance service that exists for dogs this dog hates me And I'm not very fond of this dog. And the last thing that I want to do is have this dog throwing up in my car as I'm driving to save this dog that I wouldn't mind if it didn't exist anymore, to put it nicely. I know, that's mean, especially on Christmas. I shouldn't shouldn't say that. Thanks. But what this person was asking me to do is he was asking me to make his problem my problem. And the thing was, if I'm really honest, I didn't particularly want that problem. Now, doesn't it make sense that God should feel the same way about us? Remember, God exists in perfect joy and happiness and contentment. There is nothing about God that needs us. There's nothing really that we can possibly add to God's experience of his life. God, in and of himself, has absolutely no problems at all. So why get involved with our problems? I mean, why bother? Why not steer clear of us? And the Bible gives at least two answers for the reason behind that. And the first reason is he does it because he loves us. And the second reason is he does it because he is astonishingly good. We can hardly imagine how good God is. And we can hardly imagine how much he loves us. And so God decides to make his pro- our problems his problems. And I think that's a good part of what this passage is about. And this passage is so interesting because it's a scene that is so incredibly ordinary. This is just a, a run-of-the-mill night with some shepherds who are out in the field taking care of their sheep. And, and shepherding work was not work that was glamorous in any way whatsoever. 
It was tiring. It was redundant. It was very messy. It was kind of frowned upon within that culture. There was not very much that these shepherds had to look forward to. It would have been the same old thing every day for weeks and weeks on end. But these men, we have the sense that they were faithful to their work and that they honored God. And so what you have here in Luke chapter 2 is a very unexpected celebration in a very unexpected place with some very unexpected ordinary people. And all of a sudden, as they're out taking care of their sheep, there's this explosion of light in the sky and, and, and the heavens rip open and angels appear. And it says that the shepherds, an angel appears, one at first, and it says that the shepherd is filled with fear. And so the angel has to calm them down. And, and then just look at what happens. Let's read verses 10 through 12. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now that could have been enough, just this announcement from this one angel. But then, even at this announcement, it's like all of these other angels respond. And then more of them show up. And they're all singing and praising and celebrating. It says in verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom, in whom he is well pleased. And again, what I want you to just see in this passage that's so evident is the joy and the wonder and the glory of this moment. And this ordinary field and these ordinary people become a scene for spectacular joy and celebration. Now, here's the thing. Couldn't you make an argument at least that this should not have been a happy occasion at all. I mean, couldn't you make an argument that this actually could, should have been a very sad kind of solemn event rather than the party that these angels were throwing? I mean, the, the angels were announcing the birth of the Son of God who was coming to earth because of the problems that we had caused. This was to be God himself who was being born... So that he could die, right? That's the reason that Jesus came. He came into this world to die. Jesus would be giving up the riches, the joy, the contentment, the peace of heaven to live a life of suffering and of poverty. Jesus would be setting aside his golden crowns to be delivered painfully to a woman in a dingy Barn, and, and he would grow up to be betrayed by his enemies and abandoned by his friends and eventually to be crucified by the very ones that he was coming to save. God was coming to make our problems his problems. And as the angels announced this news, doesn't it make sense that maybe they should have been crying instead of laughing? Doesn't it make sense that, that maybe they should have been mourning instead of celebrating and that maybe this event in this field should have felt a little bit more like a funeral than a birthday party? 
But instead, as you read this passage, what you detect in it is that the angels are absolutely gushing with delight. This is not sad news of great sorrow, the angels say. This is good news of great joy. God has made our problems his problems, and he does it with delight. He does it cheerfully. And out of that great love and contentment and peace and joy and happiness that God himself has always had all on his own, he sends his son to us with this generous, unbegrudging, self-sacrificing love and joy, even for sinners like you and me. God saw our problem. God saw that we needed him. He saw that only he was the one who was going to be able to solve it. And at Christmas, we're told, he came for us, and he did it joyfully. And that's why we celebrate today. And that's why Christians, we get up in the morning oftentimes on Sunday, and and we give each other presents as an expression of that joy. That's why we sing songs. That's why we gather together and, and celebrate and throw parties. The, 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 the party started here with these shepherds and these angels. Because on that night, in that quiet field that was so close to the little town of Bethlehem, Jesus, his birth was celebrated as good news of great joy. And, and that joy is to be ours today. That's the joy that we celebrate. That's the joy that we look to experience and find even on on this day here. And, And I would pray that that would be your joy today. It was God's joy to offer you his son. And hopefully we can receive him with that same joy. Let's pray. Father, it is just wonderful in a world where where you are so often painted as being entirely angry, uh, like a police officer who who stands above us just waiting for us to do something wrong. And yet to, to picture you as the great glad God of the heavens who is confident, not afraid, happy, at peace, at, at rest, content in, in every way, to picture your joy it's just such a wonderful thought for us this morning. And we thank you that, that your, your joy at sending your son for us was uh, given to the angels and that they celebrated with joy. And, and then that was passed on to the shepherds who celebrated with joy and who came to Joseph and, and Mary and, and baby Jesus. And they all celebrated with joy. And we pray that you would help us to celebrate with joy today too. We pray that you would help us to trust you with our problems. We we know that so many carry problems that are so great, and yet we want to trust that if sin really is the problem behind all of those problems, then, and if you've really dealt with the problem of sin for those who will trust you and believe, then we have so much hope, and we have such a future, and we have so much joy. So please help us to taste and enjoy that today, and thank you for making our problems yours. In Jesus' name, amen.